Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. Yeah, and I should say, welcome back, because we've been apart for two whole weeks. And, and I so have missed podcasting I have you. missed podcasting as well, although I should say, we have not podcast, but we have seen each other because yes. you filled in. Well, we are actual friends, are actual so. Friends yeah. <laughs> outside, of, outside of our um, hugely important <laughs> podcasting projects. Um, but yeah, you filled in for me at the Grove, which was super cool. And you've been, yeah. yeah, we've just, we've connected, but we have not been able to podcast and neither of us has been preaching. So that's right. Um, anyway. So it was, it was, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in the routine. So what is astonishing you? Well, I have two things, if that's okay. Excellent. Fantastic. First, well, it's it's the Grove. It's it's the um, opportunity to preach for you at the Grove. And, you know, I already knew, you know, people were wonderful and kind and sweet and lovely at the Grove. But it was great to experience that once again. And um, I just have to say a couple of words about, number one, your worship team. Oh, They're gosh. so good. They're amazing. Yes, they're wonderful. And... Um, such a diversity of voices. I think I counted something like seven or eight people mm-hmm. that got to the microphone to lead a particular part of worship. Mm-hmm. And that just gave worship a um, a warmth mm-hmm. and a flow and an mm-hmm. energy that was really nice and mm-hmm. beautiful. And um, I really appreciated that. And your space is already, um, uh, it's a very intimate space. And your worship team really plays to that, and it's so. And so your 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 worship experience at the Grove is really warm and friendly, and um, so I, I had a great time um, with your people there. And and after worship, um, folks were just so kind to me and to Han and to Matthew, and um, yeah. No, I thought. I mean, I said to them when I was writing our newsletter blurb, like, I mean, I. This community is is such a gift to me, and I say it all the time that like, it's my dream church. Like it's mm. the church I dreamed of that everyone said, you know, that's cute, but it'll never happen. Mm. And so, really, I mean, there are things that are quite difficult, but but it just, I mean, every every time it's like walking, waking up in a miracle, right? I mean, anyway, it just, and that's hard to talk about because it mm. can sound really icky I don't know but it just is and because it wasn't because it's obviously obviously it's a movement of the Holy Spirit and so to be you know to be the place where the Spirit has manifested so gloriously resurrection reality is just anyway it's amazing um but I and I talk all the time about like the model of community that we have um is is friendship right like that's the language and the reality we're trying to inhibit that that's or inhabit rather not inhibit we want to inhabit it (laughs) (laughs) um, because Jesus was friends with Mm, his disciples and so I feel like we all have roles to play and we have areas of responsibility and areas of authority and areas of accountability but the but the currency of the congregation is friendship Mm -hmm. um, with God and with one another and I really do I mean 
they're my friends and I'm so honored to be befriended by them in the context of this role that I play and the serving I get to do. And then you are my friend. And so one of my favorite things is to introduce my friends to my friend. And so it's just really exciting for that to happen. Um, so I was really happy that you got to do that. And, um, yeah, I, I mean the, our worship team that leads worship, both the folks who do music and the folks who play different parts of the service. It's just so, um, it's just such a, it's a manifestation of who we want to be as a community. We believe like back from seminary days that worship is the work of the people. And so everyone in the community is called to lead worship in some way at some time. And so you have to like make that part of the culture and people have to be able to start before they're ready and we can't limit it to experts. Right. And you can't grow in something if you never get a chance to do something. And I think especially with like our music team, and we have such incredible um, music leaders, you know, um, my friend Elizabeth, who is really leading the team and making it happen. And um, she, you know, so many incredible musicians. But and we're really clear that if we want worship to be something that everyone in the congregation does, mm-hmm. then anyone that the spirit calls to be a part of the worship leadership team, anyone who's willing to make that commitment to come to practice and to learn is welcome to be on the team because if someone can't come beforehand Mm -hmm. to practice and learn to sing the songs that we're going to sing in worship, then we're deluding ourselves if we think that the people in the pews are just going to be able to show up and participate in worship. And our highest value is for us as a community to share a worship experience and when it comes to music that means we want to make music together we Mm. want to sing together and we want our worship leaders not to perform but to lead the church Mm -hmm. in worship which means that our worship team we feel like needs to be filled with people of all different levels of skill and ability and different backgrounds and different preferences and different strengths because that's what the congregation is. And so I just, I love it. And I love it when you have worship leadership where you can see that people are, you know, there are some people who are leading worship that have been, you know, formally trained and some people who have been doing it for years and they're just seasoned and there's a maturity and there are other people who are just doing this incredibly brave, vulnerable thing of stepping Mm -hmm. into this role. And and we have to be a community that has eyes to see the glory Mm -hmm. in all of that. If we, especially if we delude ourselves into thinking that we're a disciple-making community, then anyway, so I I love that community so much and that place so much and there are friendships so much and it's just so excited that you were there. One of your elders, one of your elders got up and I believe he was calling for the offering and he used an analogy of spoon versus ladle, right? We use a spoon to feed ourselves, a ladle for others. It's like this is the time in virtual. Yeah. And then sometime later in the service, another elder got up, and I think she was praying and used that same mm-hmm. image. Mm-hmm. And I think someone else used it a third time. And I was asking myself, was this planned or was this spontaneous? No. It felt very spontaneous. It felt it's very, very spontaneous. yeah. It felt very yeah. spirit led, and I thought this is really refreshing. And it was nice for me to be in that um, environment. Um, I love to ride a church. Folks are doing good, hard work, 
uh, but you guys are ahead of us in the transformation process, yep. right? Yep. And yep. so it's, we're not it's, different. We've just been doing it longer. Yes, and yep. it's helpful. It's inspirational for me to be in your context, knowing that um, you guys have gone through some very rough times, yep. and you are where you are because you've persevered. Right. And so it's just very helpful and inspiring and yeah. wonderful. I mean, I think worship in the eyes of God has always been beautiful Mm -hmm. and maybe our worship in our beginning fumbling around days after we did transformation when we were reaching for a vision and something new you know reaching to do something before we had the capacity to do it i mean i imagine that in the eyes of god Mm -hmm. there might have been more glory in that worship than than what we're doing now that we have more Mm -hmm. visible skill and strength and experience but um you know we were very clear about when we started we were just were not good and Mm -hmm. and I mean, we were learning to do something and really needing to be able to like articulate a narrative of like, it is okay to be beginning. Mm-hmm. It is okay to be a beginner. Like you can't get good at something until you're bad at it. That's yes. astonishing me. Um, a woman named Tina Cowan. Yep. Tina Cowan is an elder at a church in uh, the huge city of Cleveland, North Carolina. And um, I had the privilege of being Tina's pastor for a few years. And uh, Tina is a second career uh, woman who has just finished her first year of seminary. And uh a few weeks ago, she sent me a text saying, hey, I just finished first year, and my life has been transformed. Wow. Yes, right? So after the first year of seminary, you expect, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. It was really hard, a lot of new things, but not usually, you know, life yeah. transformation. So um, I said, well, we definitely need to have lunch. want to hear about your experience. And really, it wasn't the... The whole of her seminary experience, it was one class. She took a class focused on African-American women preachers. And she said there was a day in the class, she asked a question, and I can't remember the question she asked, but the professor's response was, well, that will happen when you start the movement. And Mm. she said something, well, the Holy Spirit spoke to her. And um, she went back to her community in Mooresville, North Carolina, and decided that it was time to transform her um, neighborhood, struggling with drugs and crime. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, because she she's grown up in that community, mm-hmm. her, her family's been there a long time, she knows everyone, everyone knows her. She said, I just put everyone dealing drugs and doing the wrong thing. I put them on notice that they can no longer do this in our community. And she started walking the street. She's still doing it. She walks the street uh, with a two by four every day. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, when they see me coming, they leave. She says, my mentality is they will not win. She says, I am so confident of that. And, um... I'm astonished by the reaction of 
the church folk in the neighborhood. Okay. It's the church folk who are saying, you can't do this. This is too dangerous. Interesting. Maybe you should pull back. Maybe this is too much. And she's like, no, it's not the drug dealers and the people doing shenanigans in the community that are the opposition. It's, it's spiritual powers and principality. Yeah. And, and we were talking through this and we were saying, you know, it's, it's, it's because the people of God allow certain things Mm -hmm. to happen that they find root and, and exist for a long time. And she said, yes. And I'm determined uh, to get those things out of the community. And I'm so, um, in, in the best sense of the word, uh, proud, um, astonished, uh, inspired yeah. by her. She has, uh, when you listen to her, she has a, a tone and a cadence in her voice that just exudes authority and power. Uh, she's, she's wonderful. So Tina Cowan, um, is astonishing. That is so, I mean, what's so wonderful about that, I mean, because you think Kerr Putney is having this conversation with the city of Charlotte with the homicide number now that is already, I think, 25% Mm -hmm. higher Mm -hmm. in July than it was for all of 2018. And he's saying, you've got to stop thinking that it is solely the responsibility of the police to solve this problem. It's Mm going to take the whole community coming Mm -hmm. together. And I think part of that comes from us realizing what clearly your friend Tina realized, which is, I think so many of us want to believe that the people caught up in these powers and principalities and mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. are, are other, like they're different than us. And so, and I was saying to the kids um, during the children's sermon on Sunday, we have this idea that if we just subtract certain people, we'll get a better community, right? So yes. the ideal is, and this is what we do with redlining and districting and school districts and all this kind of stuff that like, if we can just keep our good people away from those bad people, mm-hmm. like stuff like that has to happen. It's inve- inevitable, but as long as it's NIMBY, mm-hmm. then I, you know, I'm good with it. And, and if we can just keep from getting contaminated and we don't realize that, we're contaminated with the same sin expressing itself in different yes. death-dealing ways. Yes. And that the reality is the people caught up in these you know, behaviors and in these practices are people just like us who, yes. who would love to have a different way, mm-hmm. to live a different way. Mm-hmm. If anybody could stop writing them off, putting them in private prisons to enslave them, and yeah. really say, no, I believe that your humanity is the same as my humanity, and let's figure out yeah. what these systems are and work on dismantling mm-hmm. the systems mm-hmm. instead of rejecting one another. And of yeah. all the people who ought to understand that, it ought to be the church. Yeah. And we don't. We've turned ourselves into country clubs for respectability mm. as opposed to places where, no, like Saul becoming Paul, like that's our highlight reel. And so mm. when there are people in our sphere of influence whose lives don't look respectable, mm-hmm. we ought to be you know, rejoicing yeah. in the opportunity to welcome people into the joy-filled, authentic, yes. real lives that we have in Christ. And if we don't have one, then we better get one, yeah. you know. So that that's just a really, that's a really cool thing. Love it. Yeah. That's really cool. So what's astonishing you? Well, I don't, um, you had two, so I'll just sort of think off on mine and say, um, the thing that astonished me is the last time I was in the pulpit two weeks ago, 
three, whatever, three Sundays ago, um, there was a bird in our sanctuary, not a metaphorical Holy Spirit dove, an actual (laughs) bird, not a dove, a bird, a wren, whatever. And it was all little and cute and no big deal, really, um, until the preaching moment, as we say, and the bird like just got all kinds of bold and crazy and was like swooping down yes. and landing on people's heads and people, you know, I have this delusion of uh, myself as a preacher mm, and people and, mm. and the reality is like everyone was fine with the bird until the preaching moment started and then lots of people were like going to fix this problem and so like people are sincerely authentically trying to help but are like moving around the sanctuary and opening doors and shutting doors and chasing it out and chasing it back in again and like no one it just was one of those moments where I'm like just the absurdity of preaching it just was ridiculous and I fell all kinds of ways about it and only in church um, only at the grove So what are you thinking about? Well, I've had so many thoughts for the past three weeks. Um, I think the big thing that I am always thinking about is um, racism in this country Mm. and um, what it looks like to build an authentic, healthy, Christ-honoring, multi-ethnic community. and that, and this is one of those places where I'm not mad that we have tens of listeners because I'm going to say some things that um, could be um, could be offensive to some people. And I just, I mean, whatever. But I'm thinking about in the pursuit of building our own imperfect but authentic multi-ethnic community, I'm thinking a lot about predominantly white institutions and how much so many how so many of my colleagues just sort of accept those as the inevitable default even mm-hmm. innocuous reality and while i really understand in a culture like the one we inhabit i understand the need for um majority minority communities like i mm-hmm. understand that to be living as a black person in america the historically black church um, can can function in really healthy ways and holy and necessary ways as 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 an arbor as a as a safe place as mm-hmm. a place to sort of celebrate and glorify um, the particular manifestation of divinity that it is to be black and mm-hmm. and just I mean that's just important mm-hmm. um, a place where you can say Black Lives Matter without mm-hmm. somebody needing to say well but I mean you know just I I get it. Um, <laughs> So I don't I don't have an opinion about um, congregations that are homogenous ethnic mm-hmm. congregations, but I really am starting to feel deeply uncomfortable with how comfortable we are with having predominantly white institutions in parts of the country where the community surrounding them is full of people of all different ethnicities, mm-hmm. and I really am uncomfortable with how we act as though being a diverse church is just one of many good options. And and it's fine if you want to do that, but it's also fine if you don't. And it's okay to take the stance of everyone is welcome here if they want to come without doing the harder work of saying, why is our church segregated? Mm. 
and who are they? <laughs> and why don't they want to come? And have we ever asked what we might be doing to make people feel unwelcome in this community of Christ if they don't happen to look like us? And and do we have anyone in our lives that we could ask? And and you know how it's okay to have sort of an intellectual ideological stance about um, being an inclusive community or being anti-racist, but still in our institutions that we actually control, like our local churches, mm-hmm. not being interested, even interested in understanding why they're segregated or interested in what kinds of implications that might have in our proclamation of the gospel to a watching world. world. And so I just, I'm really wrestling with that. And I wonder what my role is Mm. in speaking to my white colleagues leading predominantly white churches that are not against becoming more diverse, but are not doing, pursuing it, right? Mm -hmm. And have made really conscious choices Mm -hmm. not to pursue it. Mm -hmm. And what is it mean that we act like that doesn't matter and what does it mean for us as a denomination to be so interested in sponsoring national conferences about black lives matter or being anti-racist or white fragility but then going back to our own all-white congregations and literally not seeing Mm -hmm. that they're segregated communities or literally as, as telling ourselves that that's not our responsibility or that there's nothing to see there and there's nothing to wonder about so um, I've been thinking about that. And what comes to my mind immediately is, uh, you know, uh, back in the day, people used to talk about having Holy Ghost conviction, right? Mm-hmm. We do not see ethnic diversity as a gospel imperative. Right. Right. So we will save lots of money or raise lots of money and take a mission trip to Mexico or someplace, right? Right. Um, because in some way we see this as an expression of the gospel. Right. And so we need a deep conviction um, by the word and spirit that pursuing ethnic diversity is also a gospel imperative. And to not pursue right. it is sin. Right. And I think two things about that. One is the reason, and I'm not against short-term mission trips. I I understand the problematic nature Mm -hmm. of them, but I also understand that they can be good and they can be done well, Mm -hmm. right? But the challenge for white people is to recognize the reason that we love those trips so much is because we get to feel good about ourselves the whole time we're there and after we come back. But living in an actual, pursuing an actual um, ongoing community filled with people of different ethnicities will create sometimes where we don't get to be the hero and we don't get to feel good about ourselves and we're not as interested in that because we don't want to be uncomfortable but the reality is most of our new testament exists because people were doing the hard work of trying to be a multi-ethnic community and it was difficult and it would have been so much easier and more efficient if Paul had just made a Gentile church on that side of Corinth and a Jewish church on the other side of Corinth and they both could have done their stuff without bumping into each other and getting into conflicts and disagreements and uncomfortable situations but the reality is those places of conflict became places of growth and we avoid conflict we also avoid growth and so we 
you know, homogenize the body of Christ, not just racially, but also economically, economically and also spiritually, right? Like we put all the people who are really interested in supernatural gifting in one yes. church and all the people yes. who are interested yes. in intellectually yes. knowing God and all the people mm-hmm. who want to serve and know God. We, we segregate by our gifting and our abilities and then we create much more comfortable communities yes. sometimes, mm-hmm. but places where we don't get the benefit of knowing what it wasn't given to us to know because yeah. we're not in relationship with yeah. people who have different truths, different, I mean, not not opposing truths, but like different facets of the multifaceted yes. Yes. nature of who God is. And so I just think that's a problem. Yeah. And our denominational infrastructure is built on, you know, is built on keeping healthy churches and by healthy this isn't my definition this is the denomination's definition a healthy church is a big wealthy congregation Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. based on the fact that you got to have so many people to be able to pay your board of pension dues to be able to have a full-time pastor or maybe two there right so that's what a healthy church is and the fact that most of those healthy churches are homogenous segregated churches like we're like oh nothing to see there it's a healthy church because it's propping up our institution and we like our institution and our institution does good things but i'm just saying like until we decide to care and confront that place of disease we -hmm. can't get healed yeah and on the walk i said the way i conceive this thing in you know my own mind in terms of my uh, both my personal relationships and uh, my leadership in the church is that people need to feel safe, but not comfortable. Safe mm-hmm. enough to risk engaging across ethnic, economic right. differences, but not so comfortable that there's, there's there's no work to do, right? Well, and yes, because the reality is most of the time, sometimes in scripture, God shows up to comfort those who are afflicted. Mm -hmm. But most of the time when people have a theophany and encounter with God, it is a profoundly uncomfortable encounter. It is God stepping out to say, do this thing you don't want to do. Go someplace you don't want to go. Be in relationship with somebody you don't want to be in. And like sometimes the holy is disruptive, but we get in our communities where we prize comfort over almost anything else and comfort isn't wrong but it becomes an idol Idol. when we sacrifice other parts of fidelity to achieve it and like peace peace where there is no peace Mm -hmm. i feel like somebody said that somewhere so i've just been thinking about that a lot and you know we were saying earlier it's interesting that we're, we're kind of doing this podcast and we both feel led to do it but we we don't really know why and you've been falling in love with simon's next book and you're the second good friend who said you got to read it it's really really good about like finding your why Mm -hmm. and our whys are really different because I was saying you know I think one of the reasons I have the audacity to feel like this podcast matters um, and should be out there is I feel like the denomination as a whole needs to be exposed Mm. to 
some of these questions and some of these realities mm-hmm. from a place like like a, from a peripheral prophet like me. Like mm. I got I got no authority, <laughs> I got no role, I got no huge sphere of influence, right? Like I'm just I remember and my Old Testament professor Kathy Dar used to call a peripheral a peripheral prophet someone who would blow in, blow off, and blow out. Yeah. And like that's yeah. me, right? Like I don't, I, you know, I am not the cupbearer to the king. I, I'm definitely, you know, an outsider in this denomination, even as an ordained pastor, because, you know, who was my granddaddy? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, this is not something that I think insiders can talk about. Yeah. So I feel like it's just a matter of being like that annoying little gnat in the corner <laughs> saying, you know, anyway. Um, but you have a different why for this. Yeah, my why for this podcast is, um, um, and, and we spoke about this, you know, as we first started to become friends and we're having this conversation that it would be interesting for people who are not clergy to kind of listen in on the conversations that we actually have. I mean, we mm-hmm. actually talk about these kinds of things that we talk about on the podcast, uh, even when we're away from a microphone. And my why is to give um, non-clergy types an opportunity to hear uh, the kind of conversations that we have. Right, and how much we love them and love I, this work yes. and believe so deeply in what we're doing. Yes, so. and, and wrestle with things, right? right? right. We are not, you know, the sage on the stage with all the answers, <laughs> right? We nope. really wrestle I'm nobody's champion. <laughs> well, with ourselves more than anything, yes. right? Like, I'm yes. not, I don't think either one of us ever think like, boy, if our people would just get it together, I yeah. could really be whatever. Yeah. We're constantly wrestling with, What do I need to do to be a more effective leader in this context that God has graced me to serve? Right. How do I, how do I faithfully serve these Mm -hmm. people and not, um, and be brave and loving and not be mad at people for not knowing things that it's my job to teach them and have right expectations Mm -hmm. and understand that there's no such thing as wasted time and that things that start small and maybe things that stay small are holy. I mean, just all, all these mm-hmm. sorts of things that we Which is with. why our communities matter in terms of being multi-ethnic. Mm-hmm. They're small. Most people looking at them would say they don't really matter. Well, that's a nice little that's project. That's cute. Yeah, that's a cute little <laughs> church you got going on. And, you know. That's fine. Yeah, but we're doing. Yeah, yeah, but we have a budget of and we have these. We have a know, staff yeah, of. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, but, you know. How many times did Jesus talk about a mustard seed? And, right. Right? And right. Um, so... I think the challenge is most of us, though... Like, I was looking at a Henry Nouwen quote, and it was saying the three lies we often believe are, like, I am what I have, I am what I do, yes. and I am what other people think of us, mm. my, me. And I think the reality is, even though I look at the gospel and I say, you know, yes, I understand mm-hmm. clearly that Jesus is saying, this is how the Holy Spirit works, like a measure of yeast hidden in the flour, like a mustard seed, like these small, in seemingly insignificant, lost, ineffective things. This is how the Holy Spirit works. And I see it, and I'm trying to submit myself to that. But the bottom line is, like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't, <laughs> it's hard to say, like, yep, I'm, I'm here to be a mustard seed the whole yeah, time, right? Wow. Because I do really <laughs> wrestle with the idea of, like, you know, is my identity what, the world would say it is. And I think, I mean, this is way far afield, but like my friend Carl Hart, who helps me do the leadership training stuff that we do at the Grove, like you're doing 52 weeks of joy Mm -hmm. and our word at the Grove for this year that I prayed about that I really think I heard from the Lord was small. 
but and I have a really hard time <laughs> bringing it back. And Carl and Rachel designed this great graphic for our the way leadership training called like big big God small church. And I swear I stumble with it every time because it really bothers me to describe the Grove as small. And that's like my own hang up of a, living in a culture that despises small things. And that's not the culture of the kingdom yeah. and I'm trying to live in the kingdom. And I know that because something is small doesn't mean it's valueless, That's but so still good. I trip over this idea that this thing that I'm giving my whole life to that I'm so gladly, yeah. I mean, I'm giving my life to God, not to the growth, but that is this visible yeah. manifestation, this work that God is calling me to do. It bugs me yeah. that it can legitimately be called small. Yeah. And yet like I got to wrestle with that because it can. Right? And I think that's why we must value, put a premium on pursuing multi-ethnic church because in the grand scheme of things, I mean, if, if, if the apostle Paul were sitting at this table, he would say something like, yes, whenever Jew and Gentile come together in unity in Christ, there is the new creation. Mm-hmm. And that other thing, that big thing, that impressive thing you see over there, that is passing away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it will not last. It will not stand in eternity. And it's hard to stay in that place, uh, but I think that's that's what's true. Mm -hmm. Well, you got it. I'm wrestling. But anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. What, What are you thinking about? Listen, we not man, done I've, that yet? I've been on vacation for two weeks. <laughs> I, I haven't been thinking about anything. Okay. It's not entirely true. Read some good books, but we'll save that for another time. All right. What are you preaching about on Sunday? <laughs> we are That's still... A good joy? You're preaching we, about joy? Yes, and we are still okay. in Philippians chapter... Oh, oh, my gosh. I can't believe I forgot about that. That's true. You've made no progress in two weeks. No. Oh, oh, my gosh. It's like a little gift just right here. That's right. My friends, are you still 11 verses in? And you're welcome. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we are oh still gosh. in chapter one. <laughs> okay. Well, I know. I am sure that you are going to wrap that up by the end of August, but, just like you planned. But we're going to finish chapter one this well, Sunday. All right. Uh, we're going to uh, get through, I think, four verses. Well, that's great. I mean, how many chapters are there in Philippians? Four. Uh, okay. So, I mean, if you just do one chapter for the rest of the weeks in August, you'll win. You uh, win your bet. I believe in you. I really don't. Yeah. But I have a fun time saying it. It's good job. Um, Excellent. But the, the text is, um, it's really challenging, even though it's only four verses. Uh, Paul is um, um, is responding to the opposition. I mean, uh, the, the, the opposition that the church in Philippi is facing. I mean, they're this tiny, they're this small church yep. in Philippi, which is a Roman colony. Yep. And they, they pride themselves on being Romans. And so, of course, there's a clash between uh, the values of this church and the values of this Philippian Roman society. And so uh, there's, being, there, there's pressure being put on the church to conform uh, yeah. to the society. And so Paul is encouraging them um, uh, to uh, confront and be faithful in this opposition. And basically, Paul says... Stay together. This is mm-hmm. all about unity. Mm-hmm. He says, stand firm in the spirit together. 
strive for the gospel together, and suffer for Christ together. It's all about staying together as you do this. And Paul seems to have this um, sense that if they don't stay together, what will happen is that one by one, they will give in to the prevailing culture, but together by the power of the Spirit. And Paul says that their faithfulness in staying together, being faithful to Jesus, will be a sign Mm -hmm. to those outside that their way of life will pass away. That, I mean, I just want to be clear, like all joking aside about this, that I am thrilled. I mean, I think it's such a good thing, obviously, to go through this book, this letter, you know, well and not, I mean, I, I love the way you preach. I'm not suggesting you should do it any differently. I just <laughs> feel like I have a more reasonable understanding of how long it's going to take than you do. But I'm glad. I mean, that's obviously yeah. worth, you could, you could, particularly in this political moment that we're in, yeah. preach a lifetime of sermons mm. about those four verses because mm. we don't we don't understand the need that we are culture creators, mm-hmm. not cultural adapters, and that is huge. I'm totally using that Please on Sunday. Do. Thank you. Came from Jesus. <laughs> what are you preaching on Sunday? Uh, so we're starting a new sermon series on uh, called "This Is Us" about thinking about the Grove, and I think great we're going to do it. Title. No, great I, title. I stole oh. it from NBC. Um, oh. But I, I think we're going to do it every year. I feel like it just makes sense once a year to stop and take stock of the unique particular mission that we are on as a community and the unique culture that God is creating in us in this place and what our values are and just recognizing that with any mission, it won't happen by accident. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be not just something that I know or the elders know, but that every person who's choosing to be a part of the community really understands this is what we're about. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is what we are striving towards. And so um, this Sunday we're breaking our mission statement into three parts for three Sundays. And this Sunday is the first part of our mission statement, which is inviting all. Um, and I really want to, um, um, well, I'm going to preach on Acts nine about Ananias. I love Ananias. And I feel like I preach on him I mean, a lot, but I also feel like people don't know him. And mm-hmm. I feel like we That's should right. know his name yes. as much as we know Paul's name. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. without Ananias, there is no Paul. Mm. And so Ananias gets told by the Holy Spirit to welcome the murderer Saul into his home and disciple him. And, you know, when we talk about inviting all, I just feel like that has to be the context of, you know, sometimes we want to find like the good people and invite them in and to be able to say, first of all, there are no good people. Um, But second of all, you know, I, I really believe that um, we are, that every time we have the opportunity to be in relationship with someone we need to be intentional about that and just realizing yeah. that it's holy ground and that it matters and mm-hmm. there, there aren't any accidental connections. And I don't know, um, just to be aware, like it's just so easy to like write people off or write encounters off as throw away or it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. And I mean, like there are so many interesting um, little stories about how like we have a family in the church and one, one way that they were connected, one point of connection was at the, at one point, the father of the family was working for Domino's delivering pizza mm. and he delivered pizzas to the Grove for a, I think we were doing like a 
pizza party for the Freedom School Scholars, and the person from the Grove member who who was receiving them, like, had time to sit down Mm. just and talk to him and get to know him and be interested in him. And, I mean, this person is, you know, I think would continue to say, like, I'm not a believer, Mm -hmm. but but the person within the Grove knew knew enough, was wise enough, was mature enough to know, I, I need to receive you in a particular way and I need to be, you know, intentional about inviting you into community and just, just what does that mean to believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in every person's life? And so it's not a matter of me, it's not sorority rush and it's not a matter of me saying like, oh, here are people that I think I could reasonably have so an impact good. on. It's about saying like the Holy Spirit is doing something in everyone's life and I want to be fully aware and fully participating mm-hmm. in whatever the Holy Spirit might be doing in the life of the person across mm-hmm. from me right now and fully aware that I am where I am right now, not because I'm so spiritually wise or so yeah. morally superior, yeah. but because the Holy Spirit was busy wow. in my life or yeah. maybe in the life of my grandfather or the yeah. life of my whoever That's who good. brought me into the faith, right? Yeah. And so I just really want us to be thinking about what it wow. means to be a community that invites all. And we particularly did not write that our mission statement was welcoming all because Mm. inviting people and welcoming people are very different Mm. actions. So like, of course we want to welcome everyone, but that's not good enough. Yeah. Um, So I could go on all (laughs) And I hear very clearly that the emphasis in inviting all is on the all. Correct. And a lot of churches when writing a mission statement saying something similar would say inviting people. Right. But when you say all, you guys really mean all, leaving the fruit of that up to God. Up to God. Absolutely. So some people might say yes to that invitation and others. And some people no. might say no. But that's not your that's but I'll not tell your you, job. I'll tell you what I am not God's quality control <laughs> officer. Like that is not my role. Well let me ask a question about yes. your series. Again, love the title, This Is Us. Um, Why in August instead of January? Because so many churches, when they preach through their mission statement, will do that in January. And um, so is is there a reason for that? Um, no. I mean, I think maybe in January we tend to do some, like, broader identity Mm -hmm. statement Mm -hmm. stuff about, you know, who we are as Christians, but I... But I think August to me feels like a second new year to me and feels like a second new beginning and people are kind of gearing up and I hope that it will draw some people back in. So, I mean, I can't tell you that I won't eventually review this and and for 2020 say, okay, let's do it in January instead of whatever. But I do think there's just real wisdom. And again, this is one of the things that Bob and Bill told us Mm -hmm. (laughs) that back in our transformation transformation days that they would say like, you got to, you say things once and you think you're done Mm -hmm. and you got to tell the truth out loud about the same things over and over and over and over and over and over again. And every year we should need Mm -hmm. to do this sermon series because Mm -hmm. there should be new people in our community who don't know yet. And if there aren't new people, in our community, then we're doing something wrong. Mm. And then we have a problem, yes. right? We just yes. have a problem and yes. we need to recognize yes. that. Yes. And I think yes. a lot of times churches are like, oh, we don't need to do this because everybody knows. And I'm like, well, okay, canary in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. Everybody shouldn't mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. because 
anyway, so, so I don't know. So I might look back and go, shoot, that would have been better to be done in September, but this is where we are. Yeah, it's all so. good. Okay. Yeah. Well, we should probably end this podcast because... <laughs> it's long. So we're going to say goodbye, and we are glad that you are listening, and you can check out our churches. Um, Milano is at Dorida Presbyterian Church, which you can Google and find their website and you can look at the grove thegrovecharlotte.org and we both have our sermons um, podcasts up so yolando's is on podbean podbean and you can search for derida church podcast yeah yes Yes. if you go to the podbean website just type in derida church in the search engine and the grove church has a podcast um i think it might be the grove charlotte and it is on itunes so check it out thanks bye